Well, as you look at the title of my message this morning, All Dressed Up And, some of you in your mind finish the sentence and know where to go. All dressed up and know where to go. That's a popular saying in our culture, isn't it? And unfortunately, I think it's a popular saying among some Christians. And as I talk about being all dressed up this morning, I'm not talking about the way we look this morning, whether we put on our, our best Christmas clothes this morning. When the Bible talks about us as believers being dressed up, I'm thinking of something like Luke 24:49, where it says, you are clothed with power from on high. You are clothed with power from on high. See, there in Luke, God is talking about, through his word, how he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've seen all throughout the book of Ephesians how the Bible says we as believers have been given many gifts through Christ, the gift of eternal life, the the various spiritual gifts we're going to look at today. But one of the greatest gifts we've been given is that of the Holy Spirit. And as he's filled us, as he's given us these various gifts, it's not so that we can sit, rather it's to serve, as we're going to see today as we turn in our Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, it tells us in verses 11 through 12, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and as as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now you see that word and, which connects us to what we looked at last time. You'll recall that God had given gifts to his people. And here we see some of those specific gifts. As it talks about spiritual gifts that we're looking at, the Bible has a couple of main passages where spiritual gifts are mentioned. One is in Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 through 8. You can look at chapters 12 through 14 of the book of 1 Corinthians. Our passage today in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 deals with the spiritual gifts. And 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11 is another place that the spiritual gifts are mentioned in the scriptures. Now, as we look at these various gifts, these, the passage this morning is not meant to be exhaustive. Rather, it's like looking at a, uh, a puzzle. If you've ever put together a puzzle, maybe your strategy is like mine. I'll dump out the box and I'll sort through it. I find the four corner pieces and I kind of put those up and then I look for all the straight edges and you build a frame around it and then you go in and fill in the rest of the puzzle. And what we're looking at this morning in terms of the body of Christ and the building up of God's church, what we have here are some of the corner pieces. They're not more important than the others because if even one piece is missing from your puzzle, you know it's incomplete. But as we look at the the gifts that are given here, remember that earlier in Ephesians 2.20 we read God's household having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There we were given a metaphor of the body being like a building. And it said that Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. And back in that passage, we talked about what a cornerstone is. Uh, In our day, it's more of a ceremonial part of a building, but in the original times, it was used as the foundation and everything that was aligned from it. Without it, the building uh, never began. And without Jesus Christ, without us being able to place our faith in him, we would not be believers. The church would not exist. Now, upon this foundational stone of Jesus Christ, what we're told next is the next part of the building's foundation are the apostles and prophets. And as we see that word apostle, uh, you hear people in our day say, well, I'm an apostle. Uh, Actually, the Bible says we're disciples. 
And it's not just semantics. There was an office of an apostle, and the apostle was one of the founding parts of the church. And one of the specific requirements of being an apostle is that you saw the resurrected Lord personally in the flesh. That's why Paul, when he saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus, he later wrote, I was one untimely born. He was not with the original group there in the book of Acts, where we read in Acts chapter 1 that they saw the resurrected Lord and were told, you're to be my witnesses, you're to go out. The role of an apostle was to uh, be an eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord. And so this is one of the offices that was given to help found the church. The other is that of the prophets. Now, we hear the word prophet, and maybe what we think of in our mind is somebody who foretells the future, somebody who can look ahead and see what's coming. And while prophets, the men and women who were prophets, were given insight into the future, their role was not so much a foretelling as much as a forthtelling. It wasn't foretelling, it was forthtelling. And what that means is that God revealed things to these prophets, his revealed will, one of which is his word that we have in our hands. And as he revealed it to the prophets, it was for the purpose of us knowing God's will and knowing his word. And so this was the role of the uh, prophets that we see here. Now, prophecy is a spiritual gift still in, uh, that is still active in the church today, and it's defined more as the role of discernment. Uh, being able to discern certain things. In 1 Corinthians 14.3, we're told that one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. So this is the gift of prophets, but as we're looking at it in our context, it was more of the founding part that revealed God's uh, word and his will for us. Now, next we see evangelists and pastor teachers. And I've, I've put these looking at this metaphor of the building that we're given is the pillar gifts that are being used. And that first one of evangelist is something that many of us would think in terms of Billy Graham or Franklin Graham, his son, or maybe a Luis Palau. An evangelist in the minds of some are those people who preach to a stadium full of people. Or maybe as you looked at the three missionaries that we commissioned this morning, the Sarah Dieter and Sarah Bloomstrom in the Bryson family, you said, well, as missionaries, they are evangelists. They will go overseas and they will preach the word and teach to people in places that, that have never heard the gospel. And while those are all functions of an evangelist, uh, we are all called as believers to be evangelists. I talk to Christians sometimes who say, well, you know, Roger, I don't share my faith because it doesn't come naturally. And I tell them, well, it's not natural, it's supernatural. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does through us. We are all to be sharing the good news of the gospel. You don't have to have a suit and a sermon and preach to a stadium to be an evangelist. Uh, you can do it wherever you are. It, it happens Sunday morning, not just here from the pulpit. It happens right now over in the children's building. There are many men and women that are serving our littlest lambs that are over there teaching the good news of the gospel to the kids about who Jesus is and why he came. It happens in the student ministry as our pastors and parent volunteers and others who serve in that area share. It's what what's happens in our uh, various classes all throughout Sunday as well as during the week. It's what you do when you take a, a track from the pew back and you give it to a friend at school. It's what happens when you talk to somebody in your neighborhood or at work uh, about who Jesus Christ is and what he did. And it's something you can do very simply. It doesn't take 
uh, 30 minutes to present the gospel, you can do it in less than a minute. One of the ways I like to do this, maybe I'm on an elevator at the hospital going to visit somebody from our church, and I'll see somebody there, and I go, okay, they push floor eight. I know I've got this short of a window, and uh, I'm standing there, and I'll, they, they are usually are looking at my Bible in my hand, and I'll say, uh, I read about you this morning in the Bible. Now, if I tell you I read about you in the Bible, what's your immediate thought? I see people, they go, mm, some will say, well, what, what did it say? And I'll say, well, let me show you. And I open it to John 3.16. And I'll say, well, what's your name? And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm Jose, or I'm Mary, or I'm John. And I'll say, great. I say, right here it says, for God so loved Jose that he gave his only begotten son, that if Jose will believe in him, he will not perish but have eternal life. And he'll look and go, the Venice, really? Where, where does it say that? And I'll say, well, look, right here. It says, for God so loved the world. I'll say to this man or woman, you live in the world, don't you? Yeah. I'll say it says, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that if you will believe in him, Jose or Mary or Jennifer will have the gift of eternal life. And usually about that point, ding, the elevator and the door opens and they're standing there. I'll say, can I show you something else in the Bible? And I've only had one time where a person said, no, why don't you stay on the elevator? And you step off the elevator. And you say, let me tell you what this means. And then you just flip over to the book of Romans. And you take them through the Romans road. And I say to the person, I say, look, what the Bible tells us is we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And I show them Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'll say, you're a sinner. That means you've made a mistake. You've disobeyed God. You've, you've done something he said not to do. And then I'll say, and because of that, we have a problem. We have a problem called a penalty of death. And you show them Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And I say, now here's the good news. And you flip back to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll say to this man or woman, Jesus died for you to pay that penalty of death you owed. And then I say, let's look at Romans 6.23 one more time. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but look at this. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I say, he has a gift for you that he wants you to have this morning, the gift of eternal life. And the way you receive it, you go over to Romans 10.9, is if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's about two and a half to three minutes of conversation with the person. Can you do something like that? If you can't remember all of the Romans road, start with, I read about you in the Bible today. Now remember John 3.16, because when they say, well, what does it say? You go, uh, well, it's in there somewhere. I mean, take them there and let them see it. That's the good news of the gospel. All of us can share that. But it says God did give specialists. It says he gave evangelists to the church. That's like having an obstetrician. There are a number of doctors there are the, the families like the Brysons we just heard about that are going to go out and, and be missionaries from this church. And yet there are obstetricians who birth a baby. That's their specialist. Now, other people can birth babies. Uh, when I was a policeman in Dallas, there was twice that I helped uh, a woman give birth to a child. I don't want to do it again. Uh, and you don't want me to be the guy. You want a, a, a medical school trained man or woman to be the person who is there helping you. That's a specialist. But others can do that. 
And what the Bible says is the specialists, those who help give birth, eternal birth, are evangelists. And there are specially gifted people, like a, a, an evangelist like a Billy Graham, who, who do that better than others through a special empowerment of God. Now, there are pediatricians as well. Once the baby is born, that specialist hands the family over to somebody who says, I'm going to help this baby to grow and, and is better in that area of, of helping that child to be well and healthy and grow. And that's essentially what this next gift area of pastors' teachers is. You'll notice that it says, it says, and God gave some as, some as. When you get to pastors' teachers, it only says some as pastors and teachers. It's intertwined. There's only one indefinite article in the text because these two gifts, while uh, are, they're, they're interrelated in how they function. One of the roles of a pastor, the word is translated in the Bible also as a shepherd. And God gives us that beautiful picture of a shepherd that, that leads his sheep, that cares for them. And one of the, the roles of a, a shepherd was not only to protect, but to make sure the sheep were well fed and watered. And so the Bible tells us the role of a pastor is to feed the flock, to feed the sheep. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 9, it says, a shepherd should be able to teach. As Paul gave the young pastor Timothy instruction on how to perform his ministry, this is what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So as a pastor, my role of fulfilling uh, my ministry can be summed up in preach to reach. I preach to reach the lost, that role of an evangelist, and I also preach to help you reach maturity. He's talking about this, this image of us as believers growing up to a mature man as we're about to see, but sticking with this picture of the building uh, that he's given to us, the role of the pastor teacher is one of these support structures. It's not the whole building. It's not to see the pastor doing the whole work. In fact, what you see is it says he's given these pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, you as believers, for the work of service and the building up of the body. Unfortunately, what some churches do is they say, well, we hire a pastor to do the ministry. And, and they want a pastor to be this Superman generalist who preaches, leads, administrates, visits, marries, buries, uh, counsels, puts out fires, fixes problems. That's not the role of a pastor. I want you to think in terms of a football coach. Uh, if you've ever watched a game, you know the coach will have the, the talk in the locker room, and then they get out on the sideline, and the team's there. And maybe before they take the field, they huddle up one last time. Everybody puts their hands in. They do that little, you know, cheer. And then uh, as soon as that happens, do you see the coach run out to the center of the field all by himself? And all the players line up on the sideline, and they go, go ahead, coach, win one. And the opposing team kicks off the ball, and the coach fields the ball, and he gets laid out by 11 opposing players if he's out there by himself, right? And you go, well, Roger, that's not how the game works. And that's what God says in his word. You see, it's not that the pastor takes the field and does all the ministry while the people sit on the sidelines and cheer 
the pastor on. What he says is, it is the role of the pastor to equip and coach the saints so that they take the field and they do the ministry. Verse 12 says, it is to equip God's people for the work of service in the building up of the body. Now, when you see that word equip, it's the Greek word katarizo. And this is a very rich word. It was used in various uh, ways. One of those was it spoke of a doctor setting a broken bone. If somebody had broken a bone, the doctor would come in and katarizo. He would repair and set the bone so it would heal and it would restore the person. So you think in terms of ministry, one of the things a pastor, one of the things a, a church does is they come alongside uh, men and women who are broken by sin, brothers and sisters who have fallen away, others who uh, have been beat up and run over by life. And we come alongside and we help them and we restore them and we put them back in the game. So that's one of the roles. The, the other way this word katarizo was used was of the equipping of a fishing boat. Before you went out to fish, uh, you would make sure that you had everything on board the boat, the bait, the tackle, the rods, the nets, all the things that were needed. And so it was this picture of equipping. There was a, a point in the Bible where it speaks of the disciples were sitting on the shore and they were repairing their nets. If you had a hole in a net, the fish would swim through and the net was, was not effective. And it was also used of this, of the repairing uh, of that to restore it to usefulness. And so this is what it's saying. God's role as a pastor and as a church, as a ministry as a whole, it's to help to heal the hurting. It's to equip people and move us out of the pews and into the world to do our ministry. Uh, you see, it's not about being keepers of the aquarium. The Bible says we're to be fishers of men. We're to go out there and, and do the ministry, and that includes all of us here that are involved in the ministry. When you think in terms, sticking with this picture of a football game, uh, the best definition I've heard of a football game is this. It's where there are a crowd of thousands and thousands of people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise, <laughs> watching 22 men on the field who are in desperate need of rest, right? And God doesn't want the church to be that, where there is, is a crowd of people watching a few doing the ministry. He says we're all to be involved in ministry. Now, I'm thankful that Wayside Chapel is a church that, that I can honestly say uh, is not like that. This is a church where every Sunday we literally have hundreds upon hundreds of people who are serving in the various ministries from the, the children and the students and the college and singles and the ABFs and the, the parking ministry. Uh, give those men an extra hand this morning. They've been standing out there all morning, you know, bundled up. Uh, it's, it's the people at Hebrews that make your, your nice lattes and the other things that you can have, your breakfast talk. I mean, there, is, there are people who serve all throughout this church, not just Sunday morning. It happens all through the week. And ministry at Wayside is not just about what happens here on our campus. It's what many of you are doing all throughout the week as you mobilize and you spread out throughout the city. And so I'm thankful that we have a church uh, that follows 1 Peter 2 where it tells us every member is a minister. We're all a part of the priesthood of believers. So as you think about what you're looking for in a church, it's not to come and sit, soak, and sour. It's not about coming here and getting entertained. I want you to watch this video.
There are far too many people who are looking for a cruise ship model church where they come and they say, I come to church and serve us. This is about entertain me. This is about meet my needs, serve me. But what God says is we should look for a church where service is what is important. It's not serve us, it's service. God has equipped every one of us. God has gifted every one of us as believers to have a part in serving others. It's a battleship model where every sailor has a duty station. Every person has a place on that ship, has a role in making the mission successful. And that's what God has called us as believers to do. It says in Ephesians 4, 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When we become a believer in Christ, he gives us spiritual gifts. The Bible has a lot to say about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 13, it says every Christian has at least one gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit decides what gifts we receive, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Now, the way God distributes gifts is he doesn't go, well, it's Monday, I'm giving out mercies if you were born on Monday. Tuesdays is teaching, Wednesday is whatever. I mean, what he does is he, he gives each of us a specific gift. The Bible says the Lord knew us before we were formed. It says while we were being formed in our mother's womb, the Lord knew our parts. And God knew you and he gifted and equipped you. He had a plan for you before you were even born. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, 22 through 25 as well, no one receives all the gifts. Remember, there's not one coach playing the whole game. God didn't equip me as a pastor with all of the spiritual gifts to do at all. Uh, no one gift is given to everyone, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine through 30. Uh, there is a diversity of gifts in the body. We are to use the gifts that God has given to us, 1 Peter four ten through 11 says. And God's gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. They're not for our own glory. They're to be used for God's glory, 1 Corinthians twelve seven. And it tells us in 2 Corinthians five ten that as believers, we will give an account for the gifts that God has given us and how we've used them. There is a judgment for Christians called the Bema Seat. That's the reward stand. Second uh, Corinthians 5.10 is one of the places, and it says that God will hold us accountable for what we did with what he gave us when we walk through the gates of heaven and we see him. Uh, he will test our life works, not to see if we've earned our way into heaven, but to see what the heavenly rewards are that we will receive. As God looks at your life, He's going to ask you, what did you do with the gifts that I gave to you? God doesn't take your gifts away. The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, but he can take away eternal rewards if we're not faithful. Now, I said that no one person has all the gifts and that the, the body is a diversity. We get a picture in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 22 of the church as a human body. It says, but now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. You see, what it says is all of the gifts are necessary to complete the body. It's not just the public gifts. You can look and say, well, the pastor on the platform, that's like the nose on a, on a body that may be more prominent. Everybody sees it. But if your heart or some other vital organ inside of you gives out, uh, you will know that the nose is not real important. That's the most important thing in the body. 
And so this is what it's telling us is that no one gift is, is, is better than another. Uh, sometimes people think, well, God gave me a white elephant gift. You know, I got a bad one. I, I want to return it. Well, God doesn't give out junk. The, the gifts that are prominent don't determine the value over another. A, a puzzle is incomplete with one piece. Uh, and so the body is incomplete. As you think about wanting to return a gift, maybe, that God gave to you, uh, there was a letter that was going around to churches. It was a chain letter. And it said, this chain letter is meant to bring relief and happiness to you. Unlike other chain letters, this one does not cost money. Simply send a copy of this letter to six other churches that are tired of their pastors. (laughs) Then bundle up your pastor and send him to that church at the bottom of the list. In one week, you will receive 16,436 ministers, and one of them should be worth keeping. Warning, one church broke the chain and got their old pastor back. (laughs) When it comes to the gifts that God has given to us, he won't take them back. But he will hold us accountable for how faithful we've been. And if you're not faithful with your gift, not only will you suffer when it comes to eternal judgment in the sense of not receiving the commendation in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. But it also means we as a church, Wayside Chapel, or if you're a visitor from another local body, your church will be suffering because God has you with a specific role to play in that ministry. Now, as you think about your gifts and how you're using them at Wayside or somewhere else, I want you to ask yourself for a moment, if everybody else here at Wayside We're exercising their gift with the diligence that you do with your gift. What would our church look like? What would our church look like if everybody here were as actively involved in serving as you are? Would our church be growing? Would our church be reaching uh, others? Would it be helping people to mature? Or would we be full of holes and on life support and ministries having to shut down because... Uh, there was a lack of people or finances or other things to support that ministry. What would Wayside look like if everybody were as faithful as you? Now, it may be that you're sitting here this morning saying, you know, Roger, I would like to serve, but I don't know what my spiritual gift is. This may be one of the first times you've even heard about spiritual gifts. So how do you know what your spiritual gift is? How do you know what your place in the body is? Well, you can go to our website, waysidechapel.org, And in the search tab, just put in spiritual gifts or gift, and it will take you to a link in our website where you can take a test, a spiritual gift testing that will help you to know what are your spiritual gifts. If you've done that in the past, you don't have to repeat that process. But if you're saying, I've never done this, uh, there is a a gift assessment test that will help you determine, uh, point you in the right direction to start understanding what your spiritual gift is. Now, don't worry, you can't fail this test. Uh, remember, every believer has at least one gift. God has uh, something that you've been equipped with, so you will not fail. Now, in terms of understanding this, another way to, to figure out who God has made you and where he wants you to serve is to use the word SHAPE, uh, the acronym SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. And S stands for your spiritual gifts, what we've been talking about. And the next thing is your heart. What is, what is your heart? What is your, your desire? You see, sometimes as Christians we think, Well, if I surrender to the Lord, he's going to send me to deep, dark tambouli, or he's going to put me somewhere or make me do something I don't want to do. You know, I prayed that prayer once, God, I'll do anything but, and that's what he's going to make. That's not how God works. 
God is a good, good father. He, he, he has given us gifts. The Bible says he desires to give you the desires of your heart. Now, what that means is he can change your desire uh, or he can bring you into line with his will. But when it comes to your heart, what is it you like to do? As you, as you heard the three missionaries being commissioned up here this morning, did you, did you hear their backgrounds? Did you hear what they're doing? You have Sarah Dieter, who is a nurse by training. Uh, she's going to go and work as a nurse in a, in a medical field in the Middle East. You have Sarah Bloomstrom, who is a teacher by background. She's going to be going to help train and equip other teachers and to be uh, empowering others and growing uh, the ability in young leaders in a country of Uganda. We have the Brysons. Uh, both husband and wife are in the medical field. They're going to be using their, their background, their training and abilities to uh, open doors as church planners in Indonesia. And these are things where God says, what is, your, what is it that you like doing? This comes in line with the A of abilities. Uh, what is it that you do during the week? You know, one of the things that as believers I think we misunderstand, I hear Christians sometimes say, well, you know, I have my work life and then my Christian life, and we separate sacred from secular. That's not how the Bible operates. So we go through Ephesians, we're going to come to a point where it talks about our witness at work, how we're to be engaged as vocational ministers where he's placed us. Uh, you and your workplaces and your schools and your vocations are reaching people who will never walk through the doors of Wayside Chapel. So you say, what are you doing with your abilities that could be leveraged in a way here? For example, we have a legal committee at our church. There are attorneys by training and profession who uh, do not give us a binding legal counsel, but they say we have abilities and experience that we can serve as an advisory group if you need some insight and then we can be pointed in the direction of securing legal advice if we need to down the road. But that's a way that they take their ability and serve us as a body. We have a finance committee made up of men and women who are CPAs or those who deal with budgets and accounting and, and those type of things that serve on our finance committee. And they help us know best practices and serve as uh, safeguards to what we do as a church and keep things transparent. So look at your abilities and say, what is it that I do by training that could be used here? The next one is your personality. Uh, if you're somebody who says, Roger, I'm an extreme introvert and I don't enjoy uh, interacting with strangers, well, then you're probably not well-suited to be a greeter, uh, you know, or part of the welcome committee. So maybe you're going to join the parking posse and you'll say, I'm, you know, huddled up and I'm waving the flag. I don't have to talk to you. I just point you into... And they're not all introverts, believe me. <laughs> Uh, I talk to them out there. They're great folks. But what is your personality? And the last one is, what is your experience? We've kind of plumbed this already. What is it that you do that you've gotten good at doing? Uh, maybe you're somebody who has a background in sports. Well, we, you, you can use that ability as uh, an, a door to evangelism. We, one of the missionaries we support uh, has a ministry called the Admirals, and they, they use basketball and sporting as a way to go into closed countries and draw people in. So look at your life and say, what is my shape? How did God make me? And what you'll find is every one of you are unique. Just like a puzzle piece, each one is shaped differently. It has a specific place where it belongs in the picture. And just like each piece of the puzzle is unique, as you're trying to uh, discover what your, your unique shape is, you, you may not find the right fit the first time. 
Uh, and so I think sometimes people are afraid, well, if I go and volunteer in the children's ministry, they're going to lock me in and I'm there for 10 years, even though I'm, you know, screaming like the babies. I don't want in here anymore. Let me out. We don't do that. Uh, what we do is we have what we call first serve opportunities. You can come in and you can say, I'm thinking, I think I might enjoy this and serve alongside those who are there. We won't throw you in there by yourself. You'll be with others who can mentor and train you. And you can see, do I enjoy this? Maybe you say, you know, my gifting isn't with the littlest kids, but I love junior high school or high school. Or maybe you're somebody uh, that enjoys working with young married couples. And so there are various places, and you can come in and have a first-serve opportunity. And if it's not the right fit, well, then go try uh, another place. As you think of your, your background and your abilities and your experience, um, you, you may be somebody who says, you know, Roger, I'm, I'm a middle-aged person. Where, where can I be used, you know? Uh, we have three young marriage classes here at Wayside. We have a new and nearly marriage class. We have a, another group above that where many of them are having their first kids. And then we have those who have been married for a longer period of time. And you as a, a married person can come alongside and you can share your experiences uh, you know, we have mentor moms programs here and we have women's ministry and we have men's mentors that are coming alongside younger men. And you can say, I'm just a few steps ahead of you. And let me tell you what I've learned. When you meet with a young couple who, you know, is in tears and says, we had our first fight, my marriage is over, you know, and then you have the older married people who go, oh, honey, you're going to have lots of those. It's going to be fine. You're going to get through this. Uh, those are the ways you can serve. You know, one of the strengths we have here that I love is watching our college and singles uh, type of folks that serve in our student ministries. Uh, Here are uh, young men and women who are a few years ahead of high schoolers or junior high kids. And those younger students in our church get alongside some of these uh, young professionals or young college students, and they they think you all are rock stars. Because they're like, wow, this is a a cool little bit older person than me. And you're close enough to what they're going through where you can remind yourself, man, I know what the struggles were at that age. And as you pour into these younger students, you know what? Those younger students are pouring into even younger students. Uh, If you have ever served in our vacation Bible school, you know hundreds of people are here serving over 500 kids. And I love to see the junior high and high school students alongside the littlest kids Because, again, the elementary kids think these middle school and high school kids are superstars. Wow, this older boy or girl is is pouring into me. And that's what discipleship is. It's those who are a few steps ahead of another person helping those other people to grow and mature. And as we look at the, the passage here, it tells us that God's desire, when we serve others, it's like working out. As you work a muscle, you mature and you grow personally, and you also help the body as a whole to grow. Look at what it says here in verse uh, 13. It says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When it says that we all attain... Uh, or reach is what this word means. It's, it was used in the Bible of a traveler reaching his destination. As a person set out on a trip, they started, and, and the goal was to arrive at the destination. And the picture the Bible gives us is our destination of maturity is to look like Christ. 
Now, it's not until we get home to heaven and we're glorified that we're made perfect like Christ, but what he says is, as we live our lives, we're to be maturing and growing and becoming more and more like Christ. And when it comes to this growth and maturity, as I said, it's not just working on ourselves, but it's the whole body as, as we grow. As you look at the description of the body growing in maturity, it, it, the, the word for the, the mature man here is in a singular form. And that's because, as we saw back in chapter 2, the church was pictured as being this one new man. And so the idea is as a body or as a building, we, we fulfill our purpose of growing together. Paul tells us in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Uh, Paul gives us a picture of extreme contrast here because uh, as he uses the word for mature, he uses the word teleos. And this speaks of a fully grown, fully developed man. And in contrast, when he speaks of not being children, He uses the Greek word napios, and this is a word that literally means that which does not speak. It's a picture of an infant who's incapable of speaking. So he says, don't be like a little baby who can't yet speak, but be like a fully developed man. And the other image he gives is a nautical term that means to be whirled around. When when he speaks of uh, being an immature believer who's tossed around, this word means carried in circles. And it spoke of a boat that had lost its rudder and its, its uh, moorings and it was incapable of being controlled and it was at the mercy of the waves. And as you think of the culture in which we live that's tossing people here and there, you hear these sad statistics about uh, people who grow up in the faith and then they go off to college or into the work world and they, they drift away from the faith. And this is that picture of somebody who was not mature, and they, they suddenly are carried away by the current of the culture. And it's one of the reasons we as a church invest so heavily in our students. Uh, we have three pastors in our student ministry, as well as a full-time assistant, Barbara Bear, who helps and helps disciple the girls. We have a, a large children's staff. We have a college and singles pastor, because we want to invest in the students as they're growing and developing Uh, As parents, you are the main discipler of your kids, but we come alongside and help equip the young people in our church so when they get out in the world, they have a foundation. Uh, It's why we invest in the the college and singles ministry, not only for those who grow up in our church, but for those who join our church, who have come from other cities. When they move here to go to college or the medical programs or serve in the bases, these are people who are still growing and developing in their faith, so We want to ground them. That's why we have a men's pastor and a women's pastor to serve you as those who are grown adults who are still growing and maturing in your faith. And this is is the image that God gives to us. He says as we mature as believers, not only will we know the truth, but it says it will be demonstrated in our lives. Verses 15 through 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, and it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When it says speaking the truth in love, it literally reads truthing in love. And we talked last, uh, in the last couple of sermons, we've talked about what it means to live our lives where we demonstrate love. 
where we speak the truth in love. So we don't have to go back into this. But what it means is that as people look at us as individuals, as well as at a church, what they will see is an image of the body of Christ. And it says that Jesus is the head. Maybe you've seen a picture like this before. You know, we, we love to stick our face through these cutouts and, and we, we take these pictures and we laugh because uh, our face on some of these cutouts doesn't match. I mean, if, if, if you put my face on that muscle man picture, you'd go, Roger, the picture doesn't fit. That's not how you look. And what we're reading about today is God says, I want you as a body of believers to do this in reverse. He says, I want you to picture Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the Lord. And he says, do we as a local body of believers, as Wayside Chapel, match the head? Or do we look like some little scrawny uh, person with this big, mature, glorious head of God, the Godhead? And so as we think in terms of who we are as individuals and as a church, what Jesus wants us to do is to grow in maturity, uh, to match the head, Jesus Christ. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gifts that are revealed to us in your word. The gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The word who became flesh as we celebrate during Christmas. The one who left his throne in heaven to come here, humbling himself to become the savior for us. Father, as those who have come to faith in Christ, as those who have received that great gift of new life, and then as those who have been entrusted with additional gifts out of your spirit to fill and empower us, and those of the, the spiritual gifts that you've given to each and every one of us as believers. May we be faithful, Father, to use those gifts to help the body to grow to maturity, to match the head, Jesus. Would you help us as individual believers, as boys and girls and young men and women, and those who may be later in life, to continue to grow until we reach the goal of maturity and look like you, Jesus. Father, we know we won't arrive until we get home in heaven, but may we get as close as we can to the, the image that you want for us as we grow and mature. Use us, Lord God, as your messengers. As we go out into the world this week, would you help us to share the good news of the gospel? Would we reflect it in our lives, and would we invite people to come to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and just, even if they never come to Wayside, would we be those who share the good news of the gospel? Thank you, God, for loving us and making us a part of your family. It's in your precious name that we pray and thank you. Amen.